the volume. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at zerofoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back. Another episode of Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. We've got a good one for you today. Mike Coppinger, one of the best newsbreakers in all of boxing, he joins me, and we discuss the weekend that was from Jamal Charlo's win over Juan Montiel, Jaime Munguia's win over Camille Sharameta, and what's coming up this weekend. Gervonta Davis makes his return, and Vasily Lomachenko makes his return. Lots to get into there. We also have a special guest pop in in the middle of this episode. So stick around for that. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to the show. All right, Mike Coppinger is here, senior writer over at The Athletic. Missed you in El Paso, Texas this past weekend, Mike. Wasn't... uh, wasn't meant to be. Didn't want to hop down to the 100-degree heat in uh, southern Texas. I've not. I had the 85-degree heat here in Miami. So, uh, yeah, you know, when I, when I hear Camille Zaremeta, I was like, yeah, that's a pass for me after the uh, Triple G beating. And more of the same where that came from. Um, I, I, you know what? I don't know. I have a feeling Zaremeta is going to be like this new guy that's on, like, the, the retirement tour. He's going to, like, fight every up-and-coming guy and just take beating after beating, isn't he? Well, we're going to get into Camille Zaremeta and – his loss to Jaime McGee. We're also going to get into Jamal Charlo and his win over uh, Juan Montiel. 
Uh, and two fights this weekend. Gervonta Davis, he returns at 140 to fight Mario Barrios. And Vasily Lomachenko, back for the first time since his loss to Teofimo Lopez. He takes on a very, very tough opponent that we'll get into uh, as well. Mike, you were here this week. Last week, I was originally scheduled to have Sergio Mora, my broadcast partner, with the zone on the show. I landed in El Paso anticipating uh, sitting down with Sergio to do the podcast, and I was greeted by this video. Manix, I'm a man on the run, and I'm not doing your fucking podcast. We're not doing it, bro. I'm a man on the run. On the run! You know, as pissed off as I was, Mike, Sergio's just a hard guy to be mad at. Like, he's just a really hard guy to be pissed off at. He's just such such a lunatic that uh, I kind of forgive him. I got to forgive him. <laughs> so, uh, but Sergio, I'm sure we'll be back on a uh, different date once I can track him down and make him do the podcast. Um, Sergio is, uh, yeah, he's quite the character. And uh, so is Todd Grissom now. Let's not let Todd Grissom off the hook Yeah, Todd here. was, people that can't see the video, Todd was in the back seat of that car. They apparently drove to like the Mexican border or something. And I don't know what they were doing. They, they certainly weren't meeting me uh, to do the podcast. I, I, I don't want, I don't want to know. I'm yeah, say that's that. probably, it's probably best left unsaid. At this point. Um, all right, let's talk about Jamal Charlo this weekend. He defeats uh, Juan Macias Montiel uh, by unanimous decision. Not a competitive fight, though a longer fight, I guess, than what I expected. Montiel goes the distance against Charlo. Took a pretty good beating, uh, but had a couple of competitive rounds, especially uh, towards the very end. Let's start here. What did you think of Charlo Montiel? Going into the fight, Chris, same as you. I thought, all right, if this goes past round five, I'll be shocked. And watching the fight early on, it was going exactly as expected. So I would say two things. One, Montiel is one of the toughest guys in the sport. I mean, that guy took a beating and kept coming forward and had no problem blocking punches with his face from a pretty big puncher. Um, two is Charles' conditioning did not seem up to par. Now, I know he threw more punches than usual. I, I think CompuBox uh, said that too. But it looked like around round nine, he was kind of gassed out. And he even got hurt by Montiel. So I, I don't want to say, oh, this really downgrades Charlo or anything because he went the distance with a guy like this because he's way too inactive. I mean, he fought in September against Derevianchenko, had a great performance. Now we're in June and he's fighting again. And then who knows when he's fighting next. He probably wasn't up for this opponent. But it was rather surprising, yes, that he went the distance. And it actually ended up being one of the more entertaining one-sided fights you'll see. Yeah, do you... I mean, one of my takeaways from watching that fight was, you know, maybe, you know, Jamal Charlo needs to think seriously about moving up to 168. I mean, he is a big 160-pounder. He came in a fraction overweight at the initial weigh-in, wound up making 160 to his credit uh, an hour later. But, it, you know, I mean, a guy that big, like he's he said all during the week, like uh, that he's at 160, guys come fight him at 160. But, I mean, he's a big guy. So I, I wonder if, you know, this might be, you know, in his head that perhaps – you know, whether it's one more fight, two more fights, but it might be time sooner than later at, what is he, 31 years old to move up to 168. Yeah, he's kind of changing his tune with what he was saying last week because I've spoken to him a bunch, as you have, and he's said all along, this is going back to even 2019, that he's going to 168 sooner than later. I don't know how this guy made 154 for so long. He is massive. I mean, he, this guy walks around over 200 pounds. It's got to be a hard weight cut. And let's face it, 160 is really weak division, has no depth. It's top-heavy. PBC, Charlo's a PBC fighter. 168 is loaded with top PBC fighters. You have David Benavidez. You have Caleb Plant. Obviously, you have Canelo Alvarez. 
So I think it makes a lot of sense. Why do you think he stays at 160? We're going to get into future opponents with him in a minute, but like, it's not like there are easy-to-make PBC fights at 160. I mean, Montiel was made in part because there's nobody else out there in the PBC universe that, that makes a lot of sense. Why do you think he stays at 160? I mean, maybe because he's seen as, you know, if he's, if he's not the guy in the division, Triple G is. So he's at worst number two in the weight class. It is a prestigious weight class. He is a, a champion there. Maybe he likes that. Again, he's making a lot of money to fight these fights. But, uh, you know, knowing these guys, the Charlos do want to prove themselves. I don't think they're ducking anybody. I mean, these guys are ornery. They have a huge chip on their shoulder. Charlo Benavidez is one of my favorite fights in all boxing. And I like it. I'm sorry to offend you, Chris. I would much rather see Charlo Benavidez than I would see Charlo Andre. I'm sorry. And I represent the fans, too. Uh, look, th- that's a great fight at 168. No question about it. But if Jamal Charlo stays at 160, to me, there is only one fight there for him. And that is a unification fight with Demetrius Andrade. Now, predictably, Charlo was asked about Andrade after his fight. Here's what he said at the press conference about Demetrius Andrade. I don't make the fight. I don't pick the fight. You know, uh, whatever circumstances that he in, I'm not here for none of that. I'm a fighter. I don't, I don't, look, I own the Lions only promotion, but I don't have rights to make the sanction bouts and to, to, to make the commissioners of each belt and he fights on a different network. I'm not into all that, all right? I'm just saying, if you want to fight, you know how to make the fight happen. That's all I'm about. You know, like, uh, I'm not going to go back and forth with him. But they, he's a horrible, a horrible fighter. He's a horrible fighter. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a horrible fight. I mean, what you saying? What you saying? Like, you know, whatever. I'm cool with all that. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to talk shit about anybody who's warriors. I, I'm down to get in the ring with anybody. I just show y'all to fight. Like, you know, let, let's see if he can beat dude I just want. You know what I'm saying? And then we'll talk. Like, you know, like, whatever. So, Mike, for the life of me, I can't understand why Jamal Charlo is not interested in a Demetrius Andrade fight. There is money there for a fight like that. There is prestige there for a fight like that. And even if it, though it's between two fighters from uh, different promoters, fight on different net- networks, like Eddie Hearn has been clear that Demetrius Andrade can go across the street and fight Jamal Charlo on Showtime. He has been clear that for the exact dollar figure that... Uh, Sergey Derevchenko was paid to fight Jamal Charlo back in September. Demetrius Andrade will fight for that. So if nothing else, I feel like Matchroom and Eddie Hearn and Andrade have kind of boxed Charlo in here. And to be honest, his excuses for not fighting Andrade don't measure up. I- I'm with you. I don't like to say fighters are ducking other fighters, but we're getting to that point where it's like, what are the excuses going to be next time not to fight Demetrius Andrade? If you're staying at 160 and you're Jamal Charlo, what do you? I don't. I, honest to God, I don't know what's out there at 160. I don't know who he fights next at 160 pounds. That means anything to anyone at this point. Yeah, I mean Charlo is. Look, when I look at the Charlos, both of them, and I know it's unfair to group them together, but they are twins. I, I see two guys that should be way bigger stars than they are. I mean, they're good-looking guys. They have fun fighting styles. They're really good fighters. Great, charismatic personalities. Ornery bunch, and. You're right, Jamal just does not have the fights. But what I do find interesting, Chris, is that for so long, Jamal was considered the better of the Charlos. Now it seems that people consider Jamal the better Charlo. I mean, who do you think is the better one? I don't know, but like I I gauge that based on 
the quality of wins. Like, I don't care what a guy looks like in the gym. I don't care what he looks like against an opponent that is a 50-to-1 underdog. Jermel, I would make the better fighter of the two because he's beaten quality guys. He beat Jason Rosario. He beat Tony Harrison at least once, and some would argue he beat him twice. And now he's going into a full unification fight against Brian Castaño, who, if you don't know him, is a very fun fighter and a very good fighter who is going to apply a lot of pressure to Jermel Charlo in this fight. He might walk into something huge, and if I had to bet, I'd say that is probably the most likely outcome, but Jermel is out there taking top-level fights. Now, maybe it's easier for him to do that because there are all these 154s we're talking about are in the PBC universe, but to me, that's what it comes down to. I think Jermel's better, and I think Jermel is on he's on my pound-for-pound pound list because he's beaten top guys. So uh, until Jermel fights and beats top guys, I can't consider him the better of the two brothers. Yeah, I mean, look, if Charlo is not going to fight someone in middleweight, he has to fight David Benavidez. And Benavidez came out this week on Instagram and said, I want to fight Charlo. And not only do I want to fight Charlo, he goes, let's earn a shot at Canelo. And that really parrots what Canelo said mm -hmm. at that post-fight presser that Andre crashed where he said, look, all these guys keep saying they want to fight me. Why not fight each other and earn a shot at me? And guess what? Not only are you earning the shot for maybe posterity's sake, you're earning more money too. You're going to be worth a lot more money if you have a big win over if Benavides has a big win over Charlo or Charlo has a big win over Benavides. More leverage, more money, higher profile. It's a win-win-win all around. If Charlo goes up and fights Benavides, though, don't you think that's kind of crazy? Because, not that it's not a great fight, but if you have to choose between Andrade or Benavides, I'd probably choose Andrade. Like, Andrade did not look great in that win over Liam Williams. Like, he looked tired at the end of it. He, looked, he got clipped in the ninth round. Like, he looked very beatable in that fight. So, I don't know if I'd move up to fight a guy that has only has only only has blemishes, so to speak, on his resume because he's missed weight. Like he has been in the ring knocking guys out. I'm not so sure I'd choose that over a fight with Demetrius Andrade. Oh, look, Chris, totally. I mean, look, you and I talk to a lot of people in boxing every day, and we know that boxing people rarely agree. There's one thing they do agree on: David Benavides is a monster. I I've yet to meet someone who doesn't think he's a monster. I mean, this guy. He is a nonstop punching machine, strong, comes straight forward, doesn't mind eating shots, but also has head movement, has defense. I think he's one of the most underrated fighters in the sport. I know people might scoff at underrated, but I don't think people realize just how good he is. No, I think he's excellent. And it's a, it's a bigger risk for maybe a comparable reward to move up to fight David Benavidez uh, over Demetrius Andrade. So we've discussed this. Now let's bring in what would be one half of my favorite fight in boxing right now. Demetrius Andrade, the WBO middleweight champion, a couple of months removed from a win over Liam Williams. Demetrius, start here. Did you watch Charlo Montiel, and what did you think? Um, I didn't get the chance to watch it. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, you know, not, my, not my time, not my day, but I seen he got a little lump lump, though. He got a little lump lump. He got a little lump. He got a lump lump. He got hit 120 something times. He got some lumps. <laughs> he fought somebody that was he fought somebody that was durable that came to fight. And he's like, he's like, oh, um, if Andre beats him, then we'll fight. <laughs> like, come on, bro. You finally fighting somebody that's come to the fight. Now I gotta fight him. Like, what you I've been doing that. You know what I'm saying? Williams, top 10 guy. You know what I'm saying? I've been doing that type of stuff. But uh, it's all good. I'm a um you know, I'm gonna get a chance to watch his fight. You know what I'm saying? I'm a, you know, advocate 
of the sport of boxing. I just couldn't watch it that day because I had a family gathering. But I'm definitely going to tune into that fight. Also, Jaime Mugia, see what he's doing as well, because um, he's somebody that's always been right underneath me as far as the rankings, but is scared to actually take the challenge. And he's over there talking about Gabriel Rosado. Like, come on, bro. Yeah, I mean, and like the, the idea that you now have to face Montiel is ridiculous. Like, I don't, I don't understand that at all. Like, you know, so, I mean, look, Charlo has made just a million excuses for not fighting guys. It was David Benavidez and the vaccinations and, you know, too young. And now we've got you needing to get in the ring with Montiel in a fight that nobody would care about. I mean, and what was Montiel? Montiel, was he a top 10? I'm just asking. I don't, you know He's what I'm there. saying? He, was, he wasn't you know, a top 20. I got to get in with somebody. Huh? He wasn't top 20 in any kind of real rankings. Yeah, yeah like to like use that excuse is just crazy. But, um, you know, it is what it is. You know, I'm just going to keep pushing for the, you know, the the names as Canelo, Triple G, Chalo, um, you know, Rumada, whoever wins out of that fight, if I don't get it. You know, there's 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 talks for my next fight against. You know, they mentioned Chris Eubanks. Um, if that's something that could go down, you know, if that's who's that, that's who I got to fight that they're gonna put in front of me. So be it. You know, I mean, that's all I could do is just fight whoever's willing to and able to and wants to have the opportunity to become a WBO middleweight champion to you know get to have their um, defined statement in their career. But um, you know, I'm just, I can only, I can only fight who's in front of me, man. Like, you know, you, everybody knows what I've been doing. Um, uh, people are, like are taking notice and more and more now to see like, you know, the Canelo press conference thing. That wasn't the first time I did it with Charlo twice. I did it with Triple G. I did it with these guys. And like, I keep getting the same answer and the answer is no. And it's all talk until I see the paperwork that says, yes, fight, sign here then, you know, we got a show. Until then, I just can sit here, call everybody out like I usually do. It's me again. And just, um, you know, start stacking up the wins. And hopefully against notable opponents because at the end of the day, I'm not somebody that has the luxury can, that can pick opponents. I don't have that. Can't do that. Have never done that. But somebody like Chris Eubank will be a credible opponent, I believe. Somebody like Devachenko would be a uh, credible opponent, I believe. And, you know, the list goes on. There's a lot of tough fighters out there that deserve their shot too as well. And then there's some people like Montiel that I shouldn't have to be able to, I shouldn't be fighting, you know, or Jason Quigley who called me out. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, you know, those are the fights I don't look forward to have, getting ready to fight for. But if that's what it takes for me to stay active, then that's what I got to do. At what point do you just say, screw it, I'm going up to 168 or... At what point do you just get desperate and say, I need a big fight. I need to show these guys what I'm made of. I know you're doing your best right now, but at what point do you have to just go for it? Yeah, I did. I, um, I, um, you know, you know, took those steps forward by trying to challenge Billy Joe Saunders for the WBO 168 pound before Canelo locked him in before he even had the Yordam fight, whatever, for the WBC. So, like, you know, they I tried to throw a monkey wrench in that plan, and it just didn't happen because, you know, uh, Billy Joe, of course, Canelo, here, here's a little more. Take this fight. Don't fight Andrade. Um, take this ass whooping. Take this money and go home, kid. Don't worry about Andrade. Don't worry about Andrade. Don't worry about Andrade. 
<laughs> he hobbled. He hobbled. Don't worry about Andre. Don't fight Andre. Don't fight Andre. Right now, Don't you and David Benavidez are both trying to fight Jamal Charlo. If Charlo won't fight either of you, could you fight him or is he too big? I mean, I'm not going to say he's too big. You know, if I'm willing to go up to 168, I want to go up to 168. Now, you know, Benavides is a, a definitely a good fight, something that could probably happen. But um, he's just not somebody that I'm looking to get in the ring with at this point in time because there's other people that I should be getting in the ring with, and that's Jamal Charlo. That's, you know, Canelo. That's Triple G. That's Lumada. That's not – I shouldn't have to go and call out for David Benavides right off but, you know, if that is something that is going to be, you know, something big, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm up for the challenge because we're all in the same weight class. What do you think is, in your mind, what is the biggest reason Jamal Charlo is not willing to fight you? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm a man just like, listen, I'm a downplay it a little bit. I'm a man just like everybody. I'm human, two arms. I'm gifted. Of course, but at the end of the day, every time you step into the ring, it's a 50-50 fight. You know, one punch can change anything. So, uh, and then at the end of the day, man, you know, I understand the business of boxing too. Black fighters, you know, like just to be honest, you know, at the same time, they have to hold on to their O and do things a little different than a lot of other, you know, countrymen out there that has a country behind them that's going to follow them, you know, uh, like the UK, uh, you know, Mexico or whatever, like they don't, they, they don't go, oh, um, I like Jamal Chalo better than Andre. I like Andre better than Chalo. Mexico, UK, they're like, oh, I like both. I support both. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, that right there takes a big part in a lot of risk taken too, because what, what, what do you do out from there? Look at Deontay Wilder's situation. I mean, do you, but do you have any kind of optimism at this point? Because, I mean, you, you're right. You've talked about, you know, there's been talk of you and Chris Eubank. I don't know where Charlo goes from here. Like, I don't think he wants to fight Benavidez. And it sounds like Canelo's going to be tied up for the remainder of the year. It sounds like Golovkin has both no interest in fighting you and is targeting Murata before the end of the year. I mean, it's almost like, Demetrius, like, it's now or never, it feels like, for you and Jamal Charlo. I mean, you know, it's coming down to uh, it's coming down to that point for everybody, not just me and him. It's just coming down for for everybody. It's like we're accepting we got you guys want to see Charlo and Andre, but we're accepting Rumada and Triple G. Where it's like those two guys need to be fighting me or Charlo. Like Triple G need to be fighting me, Rumada could be fighting, or vice versa. Like that's how the storyline should really be going. And then, all right, let's the winners face each other. In my eyes, you know. Um, but um, it's a, it's just, it's just a bigger, it's just, it's just bigger, it's just bigger, and it's just more enticing when it's like, okay, um, he got two belts, I have two belts, now let's put it on the line. Mike, let Mike, let me ask you because you're on the inside with all this stuff. I mean, I, I've been pleading for that fight forever between Jamal and Demetrius. If that fight ever happens, like I need to be like honorary referee at this point. But like, if like, what? Why do you think, Mike, that Jamal has been? so unwilling to step in the ring with Demetrius? I think it comes down to that whole PBC Al Heyman thing where these guys want to fight inside their own universe. Al Heyman pays them extremely well to keep all their fights in that universe unless it's some crazy fight like with Andy Ruiz fighting Joshua. Or, you know, I think if Caleb Plant has to fight Canelo on the zone, and I'm not saying he does, but I think if push comes to shove, Caleb Plant will fight on the zone to fight Canelo. I think otherwise... 
You know, I think if Demetrius Andrade was with Heyman and PBC, the fight would happen. I'm not saying that Demetrius should do that or shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that you know how it is. There's this whole PBC universe. They, they tend to stay in their own universe and not leave it unless they have to. You agree with that, Demetrius? I mean, you know, money talks, baby. You know what I'm saying? Money talks in some situations. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of crossover promotions. There's a lot of people that go from Al Heyman to go fight the zone, PBC, top rank. It's this whole, it's a whole, if it's worth it, it's worth it. They're gonna do that. We're seeing it happen now. Um, Lopez and I mean um Tyson and Deontay, Tyson and you know, just whatever. There's people that do it. At the end of the day, people do it. So um, if, 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 if the money's right, I guess, then people are going to do it. You know, for me, yeah, I would do it. I would go to PPC if, if I get a great deal to go over there. I would go there, like it's saying, like a fight to fight Chalo on PPC, Showtime, whatever it is. If the, if the numbers are right to do that, yeah, I'm going to do it. I was just going to say that. You know, I, I've said for a while that Charles getting paid disgusting money to fight, you know, normal fights and people didn't believe me. And then I had a couple of people see his house and then say, wow, I guess he really does get paid crazy. I mean, it looks like the guy is living in Scarface's mansion. Have you seen this? He has like a full length basketball court and like, five. Yeah, yeah, I'm pro- I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I'm happy for any fighter that is able to support and su- su- supply and give the resources that they, you know, are working hard for, for their family. I'm glad he's making the money he's making. Cause at the end of the day, there's a lot of fighters that don't make no money that gets fucked up in this game. That ain't getting shit. That has no shit. That's like, it's a fucked up sport. So for somebody to be like, you know, that's making money. I don't care who he's fighting. As long as he's making money, he's putting his life on the line. I'm happy for them at the end of the day. You feel me? In Texas is mad cheap too. Let's let's just throw that out there. You know what I'm saying? Nobody really wants to move to Texas. But it is really affordable. You can get a three hundred thousand dollar house. It is um two million dollars somewhere else. Three million dollars look like some shit. So you know what I'm saying? Texas is pretty cheap. We keep saying, just say. But uh, I'm happy. I'm happy for whoever's making money, bro. That's it. Like I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him. I fuck him up, but I'm happy for him. You feel I, me? I look, I, I just. My big thing with you're right, Mike. He makes a lot like Jamal Charlo makes a lot of money to fight, you know, inferior opponents, basically, just to put it multiple, money. multiple millions. Yes. And and okay, great. But if you're gonna make that money, that's fine. But you don't get the respect with it. The respect comes when you beat top shelf guys. And Demetrius is a top shelf guy. He is undefeated, he is a world champion, and he is bankrolled by real money. So like and Demetrius, I've said this to you. Like I have no, I don't know who I would favor in that fight. I think it's a, a coin flip type of fight between you, you and Jamal. Like I, I've pushed for it, not because I think you'll dominate him, but because I think it's a great fight and a meaningful fight. And that's how, that's how you get respect. Like you know, you can make all the money in the world and do all these Instagram videos in your house, and that's great. But you don't get public respect or media respect until you start winning. You know, real fights. That's that's the way I look at it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could say that, but make sure you you let Canelo know that too. That no, you got to stop with the Canelo. Like the Canelo fights. Can... Now let Canelo know that who's the last, who's the last, who, who, who he fought recently that was any stop. good. Who are the last five fighters? Gennady Golovkin, Billy Joe Saunders, Billy Joe. Who the fuck Billy you Joe? You want to fight Billy Joe? Fuck you wore a T-shirt too. saying Billy Joe is ducking you. You want to fight Billy Joe? You still want to fight Billy Joe? <laughs> I want to fight somebody that's credible. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm trying to fight the. I'm trying to fight people that want to see me fight them. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show off for Chris Manning. I'm trying to fight Child. I'm trying to fight Triple G. I'm trying to fight Rumada. I'm trying to fight Hami Mugia. I'm trying to fight all these motherfuckers. Why ain't these fights happening? Who is Rumada? I don't know. Some dude from somewhere. Murata. Murata. He got a. He got a gift. He got a gift handed to him. He, that's true. He did get elevated. He did get elevated. You got to give hand to, get elevated true. to the WBA title. So just again, <laughs> just to put a bow on this. Are you going to fight Chris Eubank this summer? If that's what, if that's the only person that's willing to fight and that's credible now, I'll fight him. Yeah. All right. Fuck him up no. too. Like to hear that. Demetrius, I hope you get that fight, man. Jamal Charlo and you is a great fight, but uh, I, I really hope it happens. I hope it happens. You know, if it does, it does. If it doesn't, at least, you know, I try. I try. I try, baby. I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. It's not happening. I don't know. What you mean? I don't, I don't, nobody knows the storylines, man. I don't know. You know what I mean? You never know. You feel me? Put the money up. Put the, the zone PBC, yo, put the money up. Put the money up. That's it. You want to see the fight happen? We got to talk double digits in the M. Oh, double, double, double digits now. Eight figures. Double digits in the M. You know what I'm saying? Like 10 million. Ten, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, I bet he'll say yes then and we're going to see that fight. I don't know who's putting up double digits in the M's there. That seems like a lot of money to put up for, for that fight. You can do it on pay-per-view. Hey, you just said he's making a lot of money to fight nobody, right? A few million, you know. Okay, yeah. cool then. You're doing, you're doing okay, saying. too. Like, you got a nice contract there with Eddie. It's cool. It's whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I put my life on the line. It ain't much. It ain't shit, bro. <laughs> it ain't shit. It ain't enough. Hey. I, I appreciate Demetrius. I want to see you in that big fight. You need to be in a big fight sooner rather than later, man. I hope it happens. Yeah, my fight's going to be with you, Chris Mannix, when I see you. That's what's going to be where you keep sitting over here like, can you alone? Can you alone? Can you alone? And Mike over there like this. Yeah, can <laughs> Demetrius, thanks for joining wow. us, man. We'll catch up with the next one. All right, whatever. Peace out. Thanks. Have a good Bye, life. Have a good night. God bless. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. Never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free, no deposit required, with a free entry to an NBA contest. Plus, for those who want to deposit, FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Why do you play on FanDuel? FanDuel Fantasy is an easy-to-use app. Pick a new team every game. Different and unique contests across sports in relation to your skill level. Compete against your friends in head-to-head matchups. FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free, no deposit required, with a free entry to an NBA contest. And FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Go to FanDuel.com forward slash Cowherd to sign up today. That is FanDuel.com forward slash Cowherd so they know we sent you. FanDuel, more ways to win. So, you're a sports fan. That's why you're listening, baby. But if you're considering getting in on the fun of sports gambling, I want to let you know about a great resource, the Action Network. And I'm all over it like Revis Island. I have nothing but great things to say about it. The Action Network is where fans go when they're ready to bet smarter and turn a profit betting on sports. In fact, their free Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. With the Action app, you can see the latest picks and articles from Action Network gambling experts, 
as well as personalities like Colin Cowherd, compare odds from different sports books, and track every bet you make so you always know how your picks are doing. So, if the game means more to you, download the free Action Network app and start betting smarter. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Mike, let's stay in the middleweight division, and let's talk about Jaime Munguia uh, coming off a win over Camille Sharameta, who did an excellent job looking like a human punching bag in that fight. I mean, Sharameta came in, and he talked about his new trainer, and he was going to make adjustments, and he was going to think more in the ring, and he just kind of stood there and took a beating in the same way he took a beating uh, against Gennady Golovkin. I don't like. I don't really fault Munguia that much for that fight because Sharameta was a late replacement. Munguia's had, you know, two fighters three times bail on him. You know, Maciek Seleski did it twice, and uh, Demetrius Ballard did it once. So if you're Munguia, you want to get out. You haven't fought in 2020 or 2021 yet, so I get that. So, but I don't know based on that, Mike, that I learned anything about Jaime Munguia. He has some pop. Uh, didn't knock Sharameta down, but put a good beating on him throughout the six rounds of that fight. What was your takeaways from Munguia Sharameta? I mean, I think Munguia might be improving. You know, he is still young, even though he has experience, and he's fighting better opposition now. Even if Zarameta isn't the best fighter, he's certainly a step up from what he was fighting. Well, probably not a step up from Toriano Johnson, but probably similar caliber there. I, you know, um, I, I do think Munguia is a solid guy. I don't see him ever becoming an elite fighter. You know, granted, guys do improve, but right now, very little head movement, very little defense, strong as an ox, tough, but he seems to be more of a, in that action fighter mold of a, maybe a Jesus Soto Carras than he is a Canelo Alvarez, certainly. Yeah, and 
that's kind of why, you know, like the Charlos and the Andrades and others are clamoring to get him into the ring because they want to be the first to take that O. They want to take advantage of the fan base that Munguia has built up. But I don't really mind Fernando Beltran and Golden Boy kind of slow playing it a little bit. In fact, I thought they caught a big break when Gabe Rosado knocked out Bektamir Melikuziev. I mean, you know, Rosado looked like he was dead the first couple of rounds, then comes back and just drills Melikuziev with a perfectly placed right hand that put him down. Now, you know, you can make Rosado versus Munguia, whether it's at 160 or 168, and that's a reasonable fight. Like, Rosado's been in with some of the best middleweights and super middleweights in the world. Uh, You can call it, you know, I would say it's probably the toughest fight of Munguia's career, and, and not that it's a, it's a, it's the stiffest of tests, but it's probably the toughest fight of Munguia's career. And if he comes through that, if he can find a way to stop Gabe Rosado, then maybe you're onto something. Like then, then you're kind of building on accomplishments at this point. He's not a title holder, Munguia. So in my mind, he's not beholden to answering the call from these other champions that are out there. So if if he's willing to. Uh, if he's able to to step up and fight Gabe Rosado, I'm perfectly fine with that. Gabe Rosado certainly earned his shot. And what a knockout that was, especially against a guy who everyone was really pumping up, including, I think, you and I. And I still think Mo Kuziev is a talented guy. He was just so reckless in there. I mean, he had his hands hanging at his, dangling at his sides like he's Roy Jones Jr., just charging in. So it, it reminded me a lot of that Juan Manuel Marquez Pacquiao knockout where Rosado kind of used Mo Kuziev's own momentum against him. So... Rosado, Munguia, yeah, that's now a, a, a no. It's a t- kind of a tasty fight now, actually. Two tough guys who um, I, I wouldn't have said Rosado could punch before, but I have to. You have to give him a little bit of credit now. Anytime you knock somebody senseless like that, I, I think I think it's a good fight. Yeah, it, if you're Joel Diaz and Antonio Diaz, the trainers for Melikuzia, you gotta got to tweak him a little bit like he he often comes in kind of wide stance like Rocky Balboa (laughs) almost coming forward and you can do that against like Morgan Fitch and some of these other guys he's fought but you fight anybody that can punch Rosado's not a huge puncher but you fight anybody that can punch you're gonna get clipped with something big like what happened in that fight that that wasn't like a lucky punch like Rosado timed him and he clipped him right on the on the temple with a big shot so I, I would Go back to the drawing board a little bit if I was uh, Beck Melikuzia. But I, I think Rosado and Munguia is fine, and I do think it's going to be the next fight for both those guys. Talking to representatives from Munguia after the fight, they were practically giddy about the idea of putting Munguia in with Rosado. Rosado told me that Oscar De La Hoya had told him he's going to get the fight, so we'll see what happens uh, with that. But And that's that, to me, is a fine main event. Uh, you know, DAZN, whatever, main event at some point in the fall uh, of this year. All right. Let's move on to the bigger fight this weekend. Javante Davis back in action, fighting on Showtime pay-per-view. He'll take on Mario Barrios at 140 pounds. Javante uh, has fought, <coughs> excuse me, fought at 130 many times. He's fought at 135, I believe, just once against Yuriorkas Gamboa. And now he's moving up to 140 pounds. So let's start there, Mike. What did you make of Davis moving up to the junior welterweight division? I think I have to give him credit. I, again, Mario Barrios, I don't think he's a world beater. He's definitely a good fighter, solid guy, probably again a B, B-plus range. But he's a big 140. After everything I was hearing before this fight was made was that Barrios was going to move to 47. So, and look, Davis is really a small 135, I would say. So I give him credit for this. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly a gamble. I believe he's like a 5-to-1 favorite. That seems right to me. 
He is the better fighter. Um, but everyone's been critical of, of Tank fighting some more guys, and rightfully so. So if you're going to be critical of him for that, you have to give him credit for saying such a big guy. I mean, I think Barrios is about 5'11", you know, monstrous for 140, long reach. If, if Tank can knock him out, I think it's a statement. Yeah, look, it's a dangerous fight for Tank. I just don't understand why. Like, why go up? to 140 pounds, a weight class that you seem physically not as prepared for as you would be at 135. Why fight a dangerous fighter like Barrios, who is still a relatively unknown? Like, I know Mario Barrios, Mike, largely because I thought he lost that fight against Akhmadov in Staples Center a couple of years ago. That's kind of my lasting memory of Barrios. Good fighter, but that's kind of how I know him. It feels like a you know, high-risk, low-reward type investment. We're not even going to talk about the title, which is, you know, meaningless. But it just feels like a, a high-risk, type, uh, low-reward type of fight for Tank Davis. I honestly think this is a nice piece of matchmaking from PBC. Because, like I said, I don't think Barrios is the best fighter. And Tank probably does beat him. And then you could say he beat a much bigger guy, which we will say. And PBC will say, which we won't say, that he's, a, you know, now a three-division champion. Really, he's a one-division champion. And I know that I've been consistent. I believe you have been too. That when Canelo beat Rocky Fielding, that did not count. So we're going to be consistent here. This does not count as a championship. But you know what? Fights are always greater than titles. And this is a good fight, I think. You know, I I wonder what the future for Tank Davis is. Not to look past Barrios, but he's in a position where from 130 really to 140, most of the name fighters are outside of the PBC universe. Now, I know his the team around him always says we're doing our thing. Like, they're trying to kind of, in a way, follow the Mayweather model. I just, I, I kind of just want to, oh, I, I want to claw my ears out when I hear stuff like that. Like, especially when, and we just had this conversation with Demetrius Andrade. Like, you get respect not because you draw a bunch of fans to an arena, not because you pick, you have a glossy knockout uh, record you get respect when you beat top guys. And I got to believe that if Tank Davis told his representatives, go to top rank and make me a fight against Teofimo Lopez, a co-promotion, that could happen. I got to believe if he wanted to face Ryan Garcia, and you and I both know there have been some negotiations uh, for a Ryan Garcia-Tank Davis uh, matchup. I got to believe that's doable too. I mean, that's what I wonder. Tank's 26, plenty of time uh, left ahead of him in his professional career. But, you know, you can't, uh, the thing that you can't follow the Mayweather route, Mike, until you do what Mayweather did when he was younger, when he was like in his early 20s and he's fighting Gennaro Hernandez and he's fighting Jose Luis Castillo and he's fighting Diego Corrales. Like Mayweather, before he kind of, you know, said like, I'm all roads lead to Floyd Mayweather and you got to do all this stuff. Like people forget from like 2000 to 2007, he was beaten up on some good fighters, fighting off pay-per-view, building up. His brand. Davis hasn't done that. He's been kind of carefully matched against the right guys, while all the other fighters that are in and around his weight class are available. But there's no, there seems to be no momentum. At least nothing I can, none I can glean to make those fights happen. Yeah, Chris, you said it best. I mean, fighters need to emulate Pretty Boy Floyd, not Money Mayweather. And you know, there are a lot of good fighters he fought. You know, you have Shrombray Mitchell, you got a Chop Chop Corley in there, you got a Carlos Hernandez, a Jesus Chavez. So Floyd fought a lot of really good fighters. But, you know, going back to what you said about Ryan Garcia, it was more than just no negotiations, Chris. I mean, that deal was pretty close to being done 
before Ryan Garcia went on that little Manny Pacquiao chaotic, you know, quest over there trying to chase that bag of money. And then after that, Tank Davis moved on to fight Barrios. It was dead after that. So he moved on. Um, I, I do think Tank Davis is willing to fight guys. But going back to what you said about fighters going to their promoters or managers, I think that is the single biggest disconnect in all boxing. The managers and promoters work for the fighter, not the other way around. If the fighter says, guess what? I'm not fighting unless you deliver this fight, then they won't fight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I, I think that's... I, I, look, I think fighters need to take more control of their careers personally. I think you got to just dictate and say, look, let's make it happen. Like, you know, get over all the personal stuff, sit in a room, deal with it, and make a deal happen. Everybody makes money. Maybe you don't make quite as much money because you got to do a co-promotional deal, but who cares? It's it's part of your uh, of your legacy there. But, I mean, like, do you think – so do you believe that Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis can be revisited, you know, before the end of the year? Because that's a great fight. Like, those are two – big power punchers in the 135 pound division. Do you think that fight or that I I had initially heard that it was a two fight deal for Ryan Garcia where he'd fight somebody else and then fight tank. I don't know if all the specifics might have changed at this point, but do you think that can be revisited for the end of the year? Um, I think it really depends on when Ryan Garcia is going to have his, his return. You know, obviously he was supposed to fight in July against Javier Fortuna withdrew for mental health reasons. Said he's feeling good now and is training again. So if he's going to fight in September, it might be hard to maybe squeeze it in. But maybe I don't see why it can't be made for early next year. Not, I think it can definitely be revisited. Yeah, I talked to Ryan over the weekend. He was saying, like, look, I've got some ideas on opponents, but every time I name somebody, it always falls apart. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut at this point. So, you know, good for him. Um, hopefully he does get back then. But, that, like, if that's the case, Mike, then like, is Gervonta like a once-a-year fighter in 2021? Because that would be a disaster. Like you don't want to waste these years in your career, especially when you can draw at the box office on pay-per-view. And if not, like, I don't know what, what the alternative is. Like 140 is Josh Taylor. That's pretty much it at this point. You know, Regis Progre, as you know, would jump at the chance to fight Gervonta Davis, but I don't see that happening uh, anytime soon. Uh, what do you think? What, what would be next for him? Yeah, Chris, you're right. I mean, this is of the 8 million you know, issues with boxing right now, this is either number one, number one or number two. Guys need to be more active. I love to see Cano Alvarez taking the lead there as the face of boxing. Jermonte Davis fights in October. Now he doesn't fight until June. I know there was a pandemic, but it doesn't really seem to matter if it's the pandemic or not. And, and this is, goes across the board with many different fighters, Chris. Jermonte uh, Davis, he's not going to – I don't know who we could fight. I, I guess maybe you. I would love to see Devin Haney, obviously. Maybe a Jojo Diaz if Jojo Diaz beats Fortuna. Uh, I, I know I'm picking JoJo. I think you're picking Fortuna. I haven't decided yet. I think I just think weight classes matter, and Fortuna is a big, strong. Even though he's smallish, like height wise, he's a strong 135. Like I, you know, as debuts go, you know, JoJo's fighting a top guy, like one of the top ten guy at 135. Yeah. So I mean, uh, for Javante, I, I would say JoJo Diaz, Fortuna winner, has got to be a good fighter. There, I know they're outside the PBC universe. Um, inside that universe. I don't really know who PBC has at, at 135. Um, I, I could see them pulling up uh, I, Isaac Cruz, um, maybe doing that fight. I've heard that mentioned in the past. He just beat uh, Bandito Vargas over the weekends. I could definitely see that fight happen. That's a tough sell. That's a very tough sell, especially when there's so many guys at 135 that would jump at the chance to fight him. But we'll see. Look, he's a draw. He's got good power. I'm very curious to see if that power carries to 140 because it didn't really carry that well at 135. He stopped Gamboa, but it took him a while. And, you know, I mean, when you get bigger, as you mentioned, Barrios is a big, big guy. Um, 
I'll be interested to see if Tank Davis's power goes up and how he performs uh, against Barrios. Let's finish I mean, with – go ahead, Mike. I mean, you know what's really the fight to make, Chris, is Chris Colbert against Tank Davis. I mean, that's an excellent fight. And it's really – you know, Colbert's fighting at 130. That's really Tank Davis's best weight. I think he's a fantastic fighter. He's fast. He can punch. He's athletic. He fights uh, King Tug on July 3rd uh, as a late replacement. And mm-hmm. thankfully, King Tug is actually better than Gamboa. So happy to see it. I mean, don't you think that'd be an, an easy fight to make, both with PBC? Yeah, it's an easy fight to make. I don't know that after after fighting at 140, if Gamboa, or Gamboa, I keep saying Gamboa. I don't know if fighting at 140, if Davis is going to go back to 130. I think it would probably have to be at 135. I don't, I, I would guess, and you can tell me if you disagree, but I would guess his days at 130 pounds are probably over at this point. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I know that was a tough weight cut for the Santa Cruz fight, and he did make the weight, so props there, but mm-hmm. it's probably done for him. All right, let's finish in the lightweight division as well. Vasily Lomachenko, the former top pound-for-pound guy in boxing, makes his return in the aftermath of the loss to Teofimo Lopez last October. He is getting back in the ring against Masayoshi Nakatani, the once-beaten, tall 135-pounder, who I think, Mike, is going to present Lomachenko with a lot of problems in this fight. Like, I had called some people over at Top Rank before taping this podcast. And I kind of asked him, like, what am I missing here? Like, my argument is that Lomachenko should have gone back to 130. Like, he's not a very big 135. Top rank is flush with talent at 130. You could make some incredibly compelling fights, whether it's Oscar Valdez, Shakur Stevenson, Jamel Herring. These are meaningful, lucrative championship fights. And yet, here we are with Lomachenko getting set to face the biggest fighter of his career in Nakatani, a fighter that gave Lopez all he could handle in a fight two fights ago. So, I don't know. What do you make of Lomachenko Nakatani as a fight? I mean, Nakatani is like an eight to one dog. You know, if you're if you're a gambler, I, I think that you're definitely worth a flyer. But like you said, I thought he gave Lopez absolute hell, and I had that fight a draw actually. Now, a lot of people disagree with my score. I know you know nothing about that, Chris. Not people disagree with your scorecards at all. <laughs> never, but, uh, never, never. But um, look, this guy is awkward. He can punch, as we saw. He knocked out Verdejo, and he's big. He's like what six foot at one thirty five. Tough as tough as nails. I, I think he's going to give Lomachenko big time problems. I think he's a live dog in there. I've seen a few people on Twitter, you know, op- um, opine that Lomachenko is going to just slice through him. I don't see it. Lomachenko is older. He's taken some beatings now. When I say beatings, I mean, he took a beating against Lopez, but he also has had a lot of injuries. I mean, he had another surgery after the fight. I mean, you know, how many surgeries? This guy's had like five surgeries in the past five years, maybe something like that. I think he's better suited for 130 as well. But I think he's chasing that Lopez rematch. We know how Lomachenko thinks. It's probably killing him inside that he lost that fight. He's dying for the rematch. And... I don't think enough is said about that because Lomachenko almost, he did come close. I don't think it was as wide as people had it. I think I had it 7-5 for, for TFMO. You know, I, I think Lomachenko really did nothing over the first half of the fight as Lopez kept countering him and making him pay. And then he finally went for broke and he was doing some good work. He was. Uh, my thing with that rematch is that I don't think Lopez takes it unless there is a massive amount of money on the table. Like I, I just, he's not going to like, he's going to make sure that he is the much better paid fighter in that matchup. But even then 
I don't know. He he is like you've talked to him as much as I do. He just never seems motivated for a rematch with Lomachenko. It just I, I don't think he's going to go in that direction. Well, I would say the issue there is uh, you, we both know that Lopez has a giant chip on his shoulder, much like a lot of fighters <laughs> that we discussed. And Lomachenko is the kind of guy that he could be kind of arrogant. And you know, Lopez and his father both felt very disrespected by Lomachenko and the whole team, and they they see it as they don't want to give him the opportunity. They want to kind of stick mm-hmm. it to him. Now, obviously, money cures all. And I think the rematch would be a much bigger fight than the original, even. I want to see it. But do we get yeah. it? I think we might get it, yeah. We might. We might. I, you know, I don't know what Lopez is going to do the rest of the year. I mean, I, I don't think that fight, you know, the tentative date, the August 14th for Lopez against uh, George Cambosis, I don't think that happens. I don't think it's going to go on the 14th. Maybe it happens in September, but even then, like I was talking to some people that were telling me that Lopez is still pretty sick. Like he's still dealing with the effects of, of COVID-19. And we've seen Mike, whether it's, I'm just using two recent examples, Jamel Herring or Alexander Povetkin, you know, guys in their first fights after COVID, they have issues. Like, it, you know, you, you either have to take like an easy fight coming back or you have to give yourself like months and months before you you come back, so I, I wonder what Lopez's rest of the year is uh, is going to look like in the aftermath of that. You know, look at the UFC with Shamayev. I mean, he was one of the fastest rising stars over there. Had a fight with Leon Edwards, postponed a couple of times because of his complications due to COVID, and he now hasn't fought in a long time. So he's still dealing with it. Lopez, I've heard the same. I've heard he's pretty sick, and I want to say that I find it ludicrous how many people, boxing people, that told me, "Oh, well, they just canceled the fight because of ticket sales," right? Like, look, Tifimo Lopez does not care about the ticket sales. I mean, yeah, of course he wants good ticket sales, but he's getting paid the same either way. He has COVID. He yeah. was supposed to attend the um, – which I think it was the Shakur Stevenson fight to support his buddy, Xander Zayas. Was sick. Couldn't attend the fight. Um, definitely messed up. Has asthma. Has been adamant about his asthma in the past. I hope he's doing well. I hope he's feeling better. But the August 14th date, I, I doubt it happens too. I mean, first of all, Cambosis is back in Australia now doing his mandatory two-week quarantine. There's that. Then he has a pray, you know, I think he's either just had uh, his wife just gave birth or she's about to give birth. Then you have Lopez. First, he has to get better. Then he has to test negative. Then he has to start training. So who knows when this fight gets in. But you can definitely kiss goodbye that plan for Lopez fighting on ESPN pay-per-view in October. Yeah, it's not going to happen at this point. And look, both like both can be true, right, when it comes to the June fight. Lopez can be sick and ticket sales can be terrible. Like both are true. Like that you know, Miami was always a incredibly weird place to put a fight of that magnitude. Whenever it's rescheduled, they and I've said this before, they should go to Vegas, do a smaller venue, you know, kill all the bells and whistles of, you know that they were planning with that. Just do a really good fight, you know, put Lopez on display. You want to do it as part of the De La Hoya show, whatever, like, I, I, I don't care. But, you know, they were definitely not moving tickets in Miami. Well, that is, I, I, I want to say, I don't think that's happening either. I don't think it's going to yeah. be on the undercard yeah. of De La Hoya. Well, Lopez has made it clear he's not on anybody's undercard. Like, he said, like, I'm not doing that. So Nor, nor should he uh, be. Right, right, right. De La Hoya, Belfort, I don't think he's uh, popping up on the other <laughs> card of, uh, of that show. <laughs> uh, Mike, appreciate your time, man. Thanks for uh, joining me, and thanks for uh, being part of the interview there with uh, – a uh, very excitable New Jersey Android. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. Fun as always. Catch you next time. All right. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Mike Coppinger and Demetrius Andrade for joining the show. We will be back next Friday and perhaps then 
Sergio Mora will join us. Mannix, I'm a man on the run and I'm not doing your fucking podcast. We're not doing it, bro. I'm a man on the run. On the run. The volume. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand, it's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products, it's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.